Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone and welcome to another edition of Friday Finance uh, that we've been having uh, on the uh, Cash Talk podcast for a few weeks now and I'm really enjoying it uh, because I'm joined by the lovely um, and the uh, very cluey Mason who's going to question me today on a few things about end of year, uh, end of financial year strategies or tax strategies. So Mason, I've uh, put, you on the, put you on the pedestal now. Um, so hopefully you're on your A game today when it comes to, when it comes to end of financial year strategies. Yeah, thanks, Joel. I've had a morning coffee, so I think I'll uh, I'll be on the ball. Um, I'm hoping, um, but yeah, I think I think end of five year tax strategies like we're doing it now because obviously coming into June and we want to give enough time to actually implement some of these strategies. We don't want to get to 30 June and then try to do all these things in the one day because as we'll touch on a bit later, it's not always a good idea to leave it to the last minute. Um, that can cause some cause some headaches down the line. But I guess. John, what, what do you see most common people sort of looking to do at this time of year? Yeah, well, I know for us, it's a very, very um, busy period. Actually, most people go, oh, why is it so busy? Well, what we're trying to do is maximise what we can do up into 30 June because it is one of those deadlines that's a hard deadline, like, Christmas, for example, is not a hard deadline. It's more in people's minds where, you know, this one is actually a hard deadline uh, because the some of the strategies just expire at that particular time. So, you know, for us, we want to try and be as prepared as we can be uh, throughout the year so that we don't have this mad rush, but we do, we are checking. And what we are mainly checking is in the superannuation space in regards to looking at superannuation and seeing if we can kind of utilise any of these contribution caps, uh, if we can potentially put some in this financial year or do we wait next year or which way is the kind of best way to do this? So trying to navigate through contribution caps for us. I think the other one as well too is just making sure that we haven't taken, uh, haven't not taken anything into consideration throughout the year that a client may be have forgotten to tell us. For example, a windfall, um, a redundancy. I know I'm working with a client at the moment who's uh, changing jobs and uh, he's going to have a bit of a redundancy payout or a termination payout and so we're trying to figure out what financial year that's going to fall on is it going to fall on before the 30 june or is it going to fall after 30 june and you know if it's going to fall on this financial year well we're going to we've got to attack it pretty quickly a lot of these things have time um delays in regards to certain things uh, the paperwork the forms the unfortunately some of the red tape so we need to get that done so really kind of trying to look at, for us, things like superannuation strategies. Um, we want to be looking at, you know, potentially if we've missed anything, but as well too, we want to be making sure that we've done other things as well too. Like, is there anything that we can do upfront payments on? Um, you know, are we paying for income protection annually? Are we paying for it monthly? Can we do it this year? Should we do it annually? And so the other thing is, is that people have this kind of thing that, oh, um, you know, maximise every tax year as much as you can from actually a deduction perspective. Well, no, tax is planning. It's actually planning. Are you going to have a big year this year or are you going to have a big year next year? 
I was working with another client this um, this year. That another one just kind of comes to mind. They um, just to put it in perspective, they are going to have a massive, massive year. Okay, when it comes to income, um, but they're in a company, so I'm working with the accountant on the work in regards to how we're going to flow that money out. And me and the accountant and the client ended up deciding that it was probably best for the client to hold off actually doing any additional concessional contributions this year because of the way that we're going to flow that money out of the company will probably mainly flow out in 2024. Now, if you think about that, um, actually, if they did that this year, we worked out or the accountant worked out, I think they were going to be like $15,000 worse off by taking the contributions this year rather than holding them off till 2024. So, you know very very good job by both the advisor and the accountant working together for the client um to help them properly tax plan so yeah i think it's a really good point you just raised there john i think it's not one professional does everything it's in collaboration with one another like a financial advisor and account can work so so well together because they can combine strategies discuss strategies because we know things that an accountant might not know and vice versa. Like mm. tax is so complex. Like we're, we're definitely not saying we know everything tax wise, um, not by a long shot. Um, so I think having that team of professionals around you to manage this and knowing that there could be something years down the line, it, it can make all the difference um, and, in, and playing that out. So you mentioned delaying super contribution. So I think it would be good to touch on this now. What do you mean by delaying super contribution? Why would that be important um, for future years? Yeah, so it it depends really on how the... So there's a few factors before we put money into superannuation. Let's start there. So first thing we're always looking at is around um, cash flow, okay? Because think about it, when it comes to superannuation contributions, we, we're pulling money out of a out of an account to put it into another account. So we, we want to be making sure that we've got um, uh, enough cash flow to support the individual, the couple's life or whoever we're working with. But also we've got to take into consideration that we're locking this money away for a period of time. So for example, I'll speak to a lady uh, yesterday, uh, she's 65, so we're literally putting money in, but the money is essentially accessible if we really want it. But if I'm talking to a 35-year-old or a 30-year-old and we're locking money away for 30, you know, 25, 30 years, we want to be making sure that we're looking about accessibility of funds as well too. Now, with that in mind, so we've looked at cash flow, we've looked at accessibility, we've looked at future goals and future expenditure, like are they having a wedding, do they need to renovate the house, what's coming up? Then we're going to the scenario where, okay, they can afford to put money into super and they, they they can lock this thing away. But then should we do it this year or should we do it next year or should we do it in the years to come? And, and what we're referring to is using what we call the concessional catch-up contributions, okay? Now, what that means is essentially that you can use concessional contributions up to five years prior. And I think the start year, and mate, correct me if I'm wrong, I always get this one muddled up. I think it's from the 1st of July, 2018, okay? Um, so the 2029 financial year, uh, Mason, that, that's right. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's the one, correct? Yes, yeah. So the first financial years that you can use are 2018, 19 years. So the first year yeah. you can use it from the 1st July, 2019, Mm-hmm. So does that make there's sense? So, um, yeah, there's so many that we've got to remember, remembering <laughs> all off the top of my head. But yeah, I, I, I was right, which uh, make, hopefully makes sure I'm not going insane, mate. 
But the, um, what we're trying to do is look and say, okay, well, should we should we use that? Okay, so should we use any of the few, the previous years? Okay, and then if the answer is yes, well, then okay, we need to look at it and say, okay, well, is it better to go this year? Well, is it you know, or is it better to go next year? Now, I'm going to use a doctor that I know, okay, just to kind of amplify this as much as as much as I can. So he's uh, in his first year of going from just like a normal um, hospital doctor to like a consultant doctor. So his pay has increased substantially, okay? But he started in this role halfway through the financial year, okay? So what's going to actually happen is next financial year, he's going to be at a much higher tax bracket, okay, because he's in that full financial year, okay? So when you're thinking about it, we're looking at it and saying, well, if he takes it now, he's not going to reap as much as the benefits as he's going to reap next year. So we're trying to look at what brackets they're in. The other thing as well too is when it comes to entities like companies, family trusts and whatnot, it takes it to another level of complexity because what you're thinking about is, all right, well, then should I hold the money in the company? The company pays the dividends, holds the money, but then when, what year am I going to release those funds out? Yeah, am I going to release the funds out this year? Am I going to release them out next year? Am I going to release them in 10 years from now? And that's where working with the accountant on a business perspective is very important because we're trying to see is when those funds are going to be converted into personal taxable um, income, okay? So we're looking at events as well, like windfalls. I was speaking before around, you know, is that going to be this year? Is it going to be next year? And then utilizing the ability to use concessional, uh, catch-up concessional contributions to maximize the best approach. Now, obviously, before 2018, this was, wasn't available. So it was, do we use it or not? Um, and the government introduced this, this, this other tool that we can use, okay, to help people on their wealth creation journey. Yeah, it's a very powerful one. I think it's a, it's probably the best thing the government's done in a long time. I really I really like it. I think it's really smart. Um, try and get people to put more money into super. I think it's a win-win for everyone. Um, I think I want, I want to take a step back, though, actually. So why is superannuation such a good tax vehicle? So let's say someone's earning $200,000. Why would they put money into superannuation? Or why is that, why is that better? Yeah, so there's a few what we call tax zones in Australia. Okay, so the best tax zone in Australia is the zero tax zone. Okay, and many people just aren't even aware that there is a zero tax zone. And the zero tax zone is um, superannuation pension. Okay, so when you're over 60 and permanently retired or 65 and retired or, you know, um, you can access a superannuation pension. Now, currently in Australia in 2022, that amount that you can have in that tax-free environment is approximately 1.7 million, okay, per individual. So if you think about it, you could have potentially up to $1.7 million inside your superannuation pension when, you know, you're roughly that age, tax-free. Now, please remember everything, guys, that I'm going through today is of a general nature. It doesn't take in your personal circumstances into consideration. And there are exemptions to what I'm talking about now. So it's just not a blanket thing. So I'm just, these are just rough things. So zero tax zone. Second thing is, uh, second zone is superannuation itself. So in most cases for most people, superannuation is taxed at 15%, okay, which is a flat rate. 
Okay, so you got to think about it. The other tax zone that's, oh, sorry, a zero tax zone is the tax-free um, amount, which is from zero to approximately 20,000 if you include offsets for an individual. Okay, and what I'm talking to is the personal tax rates. But then after that amount, you're getting taxed up until I think 45 cents in the dollar. Uh, sorry, $45,000, sorry. You're getting taxed at 19 cents. So you're going to think about a superannuation for most people is from a tax perspective, if you're earning more than about 20 grand, yeah, is all of a sudden a better better tax environment, okay? So you can think about it and obviously it goes up. Then you've got things like companies, which is 25% up to 30%. You've got, you know, then individual tax rates that are above that. But you can see that superannuation and eventually superannuation pension sits in that really tax effective environment where it could be potentially zero in a, in a tax free, uh, in, a, in a superannuation pension or 15% inside superannuation. Okay, so let me, I'll try to sum that up in a, in a, try, in a real simple way. So let's add $1,000 and I'll put that into superannuation. That gets taxed at 15%. So I left left with about $850 to, for investment. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, correct. Correct. Beautiful. So then if I have that same $1,000 and I'm in the highest tax bracket, which is about 45%, after tax, I've got roughly five hundred and fifty dollars to invest. So it's a three hundred dollar difference. Is that mm -hmm. is that correct? Yeah, correct. And the thing is, is that when it comes to taxes, people are probably also it's the biggest erosion of people's wealth. They just don't focus on it. Um, one of the big things we say when we're taking taking um, care of clients and, and managing their affairs is fees and taxes is the biggest erosion of people's wealth or unnecessary ones, okay? You look at some of the most successful people, even in Australia, have a look at Kerry Packer, Packer's view about tax. You know, the, that famous speech is, you know, I'm not going to donate any more than I have to, okay? They don't do a good job with it anyway. Um, but also fees. So, you know, there's taxes and fees that are a big part of what we do. And obviously today we're focusing around the end of financial year strategy. So trying to make sure that we only pay what we should yeah no extra yeah i think yeah that's it's 100 spot on so moving away from super for a minute i think mm -hmm. a lot of this what we'll see now on tv you'll see places like office works etc advertising let's end the financial year buy some buy some stuff claim tax deduction so mm -hmm. what we what often hear is someone oh i've just gone out and bought a new computer because tax deduction is free mm -hmm. that's not quite right though is it john no, not at all. Not at all. Um, there's um, there's um, no free lunch, okay, when it comes to taxes, unfortunately. So when you go and buy a computer, let's say $1,000, and that computer is for business use or for work use, and you can claim it. So your accountant first and foremost says, yep, you can claim it, or the ATO says you can claim it. Um, you're getting the tax back. So maybe I'll make this easy. So if you were at a tax rate of 15% to make it easy, okay, that $1,000 would come off your taxable income and you'll essentially get $150 back in tax, okay? Or you'd be have a uh, you'd have to pay less, you have to pay less $150 worth of tax. So really, rather than the computer costing you $1,000, it technically costs you 850 bucks, okay? So you're definitely not getting that computer for free. You're just getting the 
you're just getting a deduction or you're paying less on your tax. Yeah, okay. So effectively in that situation, I'm spending a dollar to save 15 cents. Pretty much. Doesn't sound like, it doesn't sound like a great investment strategy. Um, but well, this, I guess- this, this, this is the other thing about negative gearing as well too. So, you know, this is the whole, you know, people, people, the biggest thing when it comes to tax is don't focus on investing or doing things for solely the tax deduction. Like even when we were talking about superannuation contributions, we're not doing it just for the tax deduction. Yes, we're trying to do contributions in the most tax effective way, but ultimately we're trying to ensure that people have more income for retirement. They've got better, fun, you know, better funding for their lifestyle in retirement. You know, we're trying to reach capital goals for their retirement, whatever it's going to be. So, you know, there's been times where, you know, unfortunately I've overridden the accountant and said, hey, listen, client, I understand from a tax position that it's better to do it this way, but from a wealth creation and retirement objectives and your lifestyle and your long-term planning, we need to put X amount of contributions in to ensure that this is going to happen. So um, regardless if it's the computer, the compu contributions, whatever it is, um, Yes, tax is very important and we need to try and minimise it, but it is not the sole goal. Yeah, so spending for spending's sake isn't, it's not It's not a wise thing to do. I think if you need the computer, then by all means, yes, go buy it. End of last year, yes, you get some benefit there. But it's not saying don't go out and buy three computers, a printer, all this stuff, just, just for the tax deduction. I think that's the key message that people probably should uh, get out of this conversation. Now, John, we've talked about how high income earners can sort of really get that benefit from the putting money into superannuation. There's also a couple of things that lower income earners can do as well, such as the government co-contribution, spouse contributions. Do you want to dive a bit deeper into those two and how they can potentially help someone get a, a, bit, a bit of tax relief? Yeah, well, I think the government co-contribution is probably one that just people just let slide by. Um, and it's a pretty powerful one because it doesn't necessarily give you a, a tax deduction as per se, but it gives you a free hit. And remember how I said there's no free lunches? Well, this might be actually one of the free hits, yeah? Um, because if you're under a certain threshold, you can put up to $1,000 into superannuation and the government will do a contribution of 500 bucks for that $1,000. Now, I remember it used to be much more, um, it used to be even better than that. Um, sometimes it was even even more. But, you know, as it stands today, that's that's a 50%, you know, return on your money. That's pretty good. There's not, not many investments where you get a 50% return on your money and um, guaranteed as well too, Mason, by the way. So, you know, you put a thousand bucks in and you get 500 bucks back on your investment. Pretty handy. So, we are looking at a lot of uh, client situations where they do are able to do that, and uh, so they can kind of get that, get that. But one thing is with the government co-contribution is you can't have the cake and eat it. So you can't claim that thousand dollars as a tax deduction and get the government co-contribution. So it's very important that that's the case. So yeah, once again, we're looking at we're looking at you know those those for those for those uh, though yeah, sorry uh, that strategy for those low income earners as well too but there are other um there are other free hits that are actually done as well too in regards to low income offsets um that people get as well too um and mason happy for you to jump in as well well too um you know what, what are maybe some of the ones that you use as well too or think about yes i think i think what's really like i think the classic example is let's say young family 
just had just had a young baby, taking some time for a bit of maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Income's obviously reduced for that financial year. This it's a really good opportunity to take that. So let's say you put in that thousand dollars for your for your partner after tax contribution to get that five hundred dollars from the government, bang, fifty percent fifty percent return on your investment. Plus your your partner may also put in a spouse contribution. So what that sort of looks like is you put money in your spouse's account on their behalf up to three thousand dollars. You get a tax offset of up to five forty, so that's another quite another free hit almost. Um, it's yes, there's some income caps on that. So for the spouse contribution, it's it's quite low. So you've got to earn less than thirty seven thousand per annum, or your spouse has to to get that tax offset. And with the government co contribution, it's forty one thousand and one hundred twelve dollars to get that maximum um, foreign old co contribution. There is a bit of leeway up to about fifty six thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Where the co contribution gets less and less, um, but two free hits. Um, so mm-hmm. it's managing that. So I think okay, spouses currently on maternity leave, or maybe just a bit of time off work because you're in between jobs or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so assessing these things in June. So oh, my income's probably going to be around thirty grand this year. Mm-hmm. What things can we do? Got a bit of extra mm-hmm. money laying around. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a win-win idea. Um, if you've got the money, then you want to put it away, of course. Uh, and I think I think the other big thing to take into consideration as well too for a lot of the viewers and listeners is you need to start planning for end of financial year from July for the next year. Like as in when you're if you're too far in that financial year, and let's say you're going to speak to a financial advisor or an accountant, it's the busiest period of the of of their of their time. Okay, um, obviously even accountants in July and whatnot. So plan early, you know, we're speaking to clients probably six months, seven months before the end of the financial year and really prepping. And at the moment, we're really clarifying a lot of stuff for them. We're not doing the preparation. So we want to really be making sure that um, if we're doing this stuff, we're trying to plan as early as we can as, as much as possible. And then it's more of clarification of the numbers, you know, oh, yeah, we're going to be making sure that this income's being the case or whatever it's going, and making sure that nothing's being missed, like redundancies or, or, or windfalls or payouts or whatever that's going to potentially be taxed so that we're maximising it in that year. Now, we've been focusing on superannuation a fair bit uh, for end of financial year strategies, and, and the main reason is, is because a lot of them do have that cutoff. But there are other strategies that you can deploy as well too when it comes to end of financial year strategies as well. Um but they are very unique, okay? So the ones that me and Mason are obviously trying to go through today are really broad and they will capture most people to consider. But there are some unique ones that we do do, um, you know, not getting into detail where, you know, we might do money in, money out scenarios right up until the end of the financial year. Um, we might, you know, intentionally hold back something in a financial year to make sure that it goes into that next financial year because we know that that is going to be the lower income year. So really trying to time things. I think the other one as well too, Mason, is is the selling of assets, okay, when it comes to investing that I can think about. So um, I'm not a big one to sell assets. So for me, it's around, you know, trying to hold them, get them right from the start and hold them for, for, for as, as long as you can. But there's certain scenarios and once again this is please this is uh not this is general advice not personal advice where i'll intentionally sell an asset that's holding a loss and then repurchase it again 
And people will say to me, John, why the hell are you doing that for? Yeah. Now, some of the times what I want to do is if I've captured a capital gain on my investments, for example, and I've got a capital loss that's sitting on an investment, if I sell that investment, I realize that capital loss. Okay. But if I buy it on the same, like sell it and buy it, I'm investing kind of straight away. So there's no kind of in and out period. But what I am doing is I'm putting onto my, uh, onto my tax return that capital loss that I can use for that capital gain. Now, it's very, very useful if you've got some capitalized gains that, you know, maybe were, you know, realized from, from a, a potential sale. I don't know, your, your shares of distributed, you know, income with capital gains inside that or a dividend with capital gains inside it. So that is another very, very good strategy in regards to trying to minimize your tax bill of if we can utilize any capital losses before the end of the financial year. That's a really good one, I think. And to, to go a bit broader on that, so just planning your capital gains, like even if you don't have losses, planning the sale of assets, it's so crucial. Like the difference between selling in June one year and July the next year can mean Thousands. so, so much money. Um, so just being, don't just, don't sell willy nilly. Um, mm. Don't, if you like, if you need the, if you need to sell, then that's one thing. Um, but if you've got an investment property, for example, mm. which can often carry, significant capital gains yes there's discounts and things which we won't touch on today but that getting that added to your taxable income and just playing that if you know you've had a really big year and you add the capital gain on top of that all of a sudden you're paying the top marginal tax rate on that gain whereas if you did in another year you might be able to get a bit less and that could mean tens of thousands of dollars difference in tax and it's just a simple thing of the date yeah, and, and I think the other one as well too is is it just like you said about planning capital gains. Sometimes we'll like up, like do some of the sale this year, some of the sale next year to like even it out. So it's also it doesn't need to be like all or nothing. It's around staging some sales. So when it comes to like reallocating investments or re, rebalancing or reshifting, um, planning the planning the the tax obligations is very important around this time of the year as well too but you know that 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 realize the capital loss bank it reinvest again so that you do that it's a pretty handy strategy um or as i like to call it a tool in the toolbox um to deploy when when the time isn't required yeah i think it's really it's yeah that is a good one i think it's something you just you just don't really think about it's just like oh got losses here why not? Like, as you said, you're buying it straight away. So it's not like you're really at risk of that asset shooting up or shooting down yeah. in that time period. If you're doing it straight away, you're sort of locking that in and sort of resetting your cost base, um, mm-hmm. which there are consequences to doing that as well. So that definitely has to be factored in, um, mm-hmm. which is always, always seek advice while you do these things, of course. One last thing I did want to touch on was we've talked a lot about putting money into super, getting the tax deduction and things, and that's and that being tax planning. But there's also another strategy that I want to touch on was converting your savings into super savings. And what I mean by that is you're not getting the tax deduction by putting the money in, so you're putting it as a non-concessional contribution, mm-hmm. but the earnings on those savings get taxed less. So mm-hmm. while you're not getting the immediate benefit, Long term, this can play a really major role. Um, mm. so I'll, I'll, let's touch a yeah. bit more on that. 
Yeah, so I think let's just even doesn't even need to be like superannuation specific. It just can be ownership structures. Let's be honest, Mason. Like I think the biggest thing that I see as a as a, as a problem in most people's wealth creation strategy is they don't take enough time into figuring out which is the best ownership structure to invest in. Okay. Now, like we said about the different tax zones, like we told you about the different, um, you know, considerations, there's, you know, own names, there's superannuation, there's pension, there's investment bonds, there's companies, there's joint names, trusts, unit, you know, family trusts, discretionary trusts, unit trusts. There's just so many different options. And then which one is right for you? Okay. And so I see that, you know, a lot of people will just invest, they'll even invest in their own name or they'll read a couple of articles and then they'll just go invest. Now, if you go back to that tax zoning discussion that we had earlier on this on this chat, we're trying to push as much into that zero tax zone as we can by taking also into consideration all of your other the requirements like accessibility of funds, you know, future requirements, blah, 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 blah. So... When we talk around, for example, doing a non-concessional contribution, yes, you're not getting the tax deduction because you're putting it in the after-tax money and you're not claiming that, but you're still capping those earnings at 15%. And then eventually when it goes into pension, you're getting um, you're getting the uh, tax-free down the track as well too. Um, we're also as well too, like while we're touching on these points as well too, we're also tackling in that scenario the taxable and non-taxable components that sit inside the super funds as well, which a lot of people don't take into consideration. And you know, then there's the concessional caps around do we do it this year, do we do it next year? Um, when it comes to superannuation, it is an absolute minefield, but if you know what you're doing, it's so advantageous. Um, and when it comes to things, when it comes to just investing at all, you may not see the consequences straight away from your actions, but I can tell you that if we did a back test on how much you would have saved if you had it in the right scenario from day dot, you would be astonished to know how much having the wrong ownership structure costs you. Yeah, um, it is it is huge. Yeah, ab absolutely. I think even just something as simple as having your savings account in the name of the non-working spouse. Mm. Like it's seems such a small detail, but it's like, it's just like, it's just a bit of a common sense one. It's just yeah. like a little, little saving here and there. And that all adds up. It all just, mm -hmm. it all compounds as we, we, we yeah. love compound interest here. So mm -hmm. it all just adds up. Now, there was one thing I mentioned at the start that I wanted to retouch on mm -hmm. at, at the conclusion here is mm -hmm. I mentioned not leaving it to the last minute. So mm -hmm. John, let's say it's the 29th of June. So I've got, mm -hmm. I've got two days before mm -hmm. the end of the financial year. I decide I want, to, I want to put in some money into superannuation. What is the danger of me putting in money on the 29th of June? Do you, like, it's before the end of the financial year. I should be fine, shouldn't I? Yeah. So when it comes to contributions, what people don't realize or maybe forget is it's not when you make the contribution. It's when the super fund actually receives the money and reports it. Okay. So a lot of super funds have reporting dates okay so they actually have dates or, or cutoff dates that i'm um, sorry are cutoff dates when they have to receive the funds by now a lot of funds if you're doing it by say eft or bpay or whatever will want a two-week or you know 10-day period to receive the funds now 
The other thing as well, too, is we've got to take into consideration what happens if by the off chance doesn't go through or there was an error or something didn't get accepted. What we need to take into consideration, guys, is some issues that may occur. So if you're on the 29th, like I wouldn't say it's impossible, but you're just making it so much harder for yourself to get these strategies done and get these solutions done for you. So for yourself. So um, I'd say to the person on the 29th of June that's considering it, Nick, do what you can, call your super company if that's what you want to do, figure out if there is a way to possibly get it done um, if that's what you're wanting to do. But yeah, when one July comes, start preparing for the next financial year. Yeah, I think that's a hundred spot on. Because, like, in saying that, like, if you put in the twenty ninth of June and it get only rise into the fund, say the second of July, it's not like you've lost the money. It's just that you've got to wait another twelve months before you can claim that deduction. So it's not you don't get the immediate benefit. So it's sort of like a bit of delayed gratification, um, which mm. our generation doesn't love. I'm going to be honest. Um, yep. But is there anything else you want to add, John? I think we've gone through some really good strategies here today, um, mm-hmm. and just some basic ones. But also, I mean. Everyone, of course, reach out if you need to. But is there anything else you want to add just to conclude here? Um, I think the biggest one that I would just want everyone to know is, as you could probably see, it is not just a one-size-fits-all approach, okay? Now, as financial advisors, we assess every person's situation individually. And... I'm constantly learning. They're constantly changing the landscape. They're constantly changing policies. And it's a matter about keeping on top of those and trying to navigate through all of these things. Now, I just want to say that over the nearly 20 years that I've been doing this, getting it wrong costs you so much money. Like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of getting it wrong. And if you think that you don't want to risk getting things wrong, go seek professional financial advice to help you. It's going to increase the probability of you getting it right Um, and not just getting it right once, getting it right over and over and over and over again. And that compounding effect of getting it right is going to be an absolute game changer for you or for you and your family for many, many years to come. So um, like anything else, if you find this getting all a bit too hard, a little bit too confusing, um, you know, you might be worried about getting it wrong. Um, go seek financial advice from a, from a professional. Couldn't agree more with that. I think it's a good way to end it. That's it. Well, thank you very much, for ju- everyone, for jumping on to another uh, session of Friday Finance. And uh, we will be doing this on a weekly basis as well too. Next time we'll probably be doing this, I'll see if I'm, I'm going to be oh, – I think we've got one more session before I'm off um, overseas, but I'll be looking to keep this going at least while I'm away. Um, need, a, need a break after the last few years of, of full-on COVID. Uh, as most people know, money doesn't sleep. But – Thanks everyone for watching. Thanks everyone for listening. And Mason, once again, thanks for thanks for jumping on again. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. 
Tschüss.